We're going to be in Luke 24 today, another uh, post-resurrection encounter with Jesus. You know, but a couple of weeks back, Lyle taught us, and uh, he encouraged us not to worry by looking at the birds of the air and uh, how they don't sow nor reap. So I decided to do that. Um, yesterday, I was uh, uh, washing a few dishes, and I noticed this robin come down off the tree into my lawn hopped up on my deck and hopped into my blueberry bush and just started chowing. And I'm like, hey, life would be pretty easy if I could just go to my neighbor's house and pick up a, a burger in their barbecue and then just jet afterwards, right? I mean, that would be really cool. So, uh, you know, why worry? There's always somebody's blueberry bush you can eat. <laughs> just kidding. Hey, uh, and another thing, too, uh, these post-resurrection studies that I'm doing, I think, are are good for us. I think what we grapple with mostly that the disciples didn't have to grapple with is that we have not physically walked with Jesus. And they had a whole lot going for them in that. And uh, so this is sort of their training ground of how to deal without the physical presence of Jesus as they try to navigate their early Christian life. And so uh, that's that. A reminder study today, reminding us of all the resources that we have in Christ, and I'm kind of looking forward to it. It's one of my favorite texts. It's in Luke chapter 24. I'll pray, and then uh, we can stand for the reading. We'll be reading verses 13 through 19a. I think I'll stop at 18 on the slide, but I'm just going to go just a tad bit further. So uh, why don't we just lift up our morning together? I'm excited to share with you. Father, we're just so grateful to be here and to know that you know everything, and we're so longing for you to speak to our hearts lord it would be so cool to be able to have you just come up on us and chat with us and sell our hearts and lord you can do that by your spirit today and we pray that you teach us and guide us this morning as we peer into your word which is so life-giving and we pray this in jesus name so why don't we stand together and i'll read verses 13 through 19a luke chapter 24 that very day, two of them were going into a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went in with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, hey, what's this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. And uh, then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? So you may be seated. And uh, so <laughs> immediately we get the scene here. We have two disciples that are walking sadly from Jerusalem, a seven-mile journey. And uh, man, that would be, you know... I think that's something we can do as men someday. Maybe we'll have to do something like that. Take a good long walk in the woods. There's a lot that gets hashed out when you're walking. But anyway, they're walking. They're sad. Some things have happened. We'll read about in the text. Jesus had physically raised from the grave, although they are still in this state of disbelief. Uh, women had seen angels and reported back to the disciples. Two of them ran, Peter and John, to the tomb to find it empty. And uh, these were all puzzling events. For these disciples. 
Uh, it says prior to this uh, particular encounter that when the women came and shared that Jesus was raised from the dead, it seemed as if they were idle tales. <laughs> so they weren't very receptive. And they were very bummed out, visibly sad. And what these disciples are grappling with are the current events that just took place. They're troubled in heart, puzzled in heart, at how it is that evil could vanquish Jesus so easily in crucifying him on the cross. They were just bummed out. They were blue. They were just visibly sad. When it says that Jesus saw them looking sad, that word would mean that their visage, their face, was actually um, looked grieved, as if their faces were all crinkled and just bummed out. <laughs> You know, and so here comes Jesus, right? He just rolls up on him. Hey, what are you guys talking about? Why are you so sad? You know, he asked him three questions. And uh, the first two uh, really provoked a response, right? Are you the only guy that doesn't know what's going on around here? Isn't it like total annoying when you're like going through something really deep and frustrating and some like Pollyannish type person comes up hey what are you guys so sad about this is an awesome day life is good dude you know and uh, and I'm like oh, easy dude I mean life isn't always that easy you know and so they're bad and, and they're I mean they're sad and uh, and he Jesus is just trying to draw up from them to drill down deep to what it is they're actually sad about and Jesus, of course, could be light in mood because he'd already gone through all of his suffering. He was on the other side of it, right? And, uh, and so those two people, us, you and me, believers in Jesus, who have gone through suffering and come through the other side, have a little lighter view of the troubles that we face on a daily basis. And so here Jesus says now with his last question, what things? He wasn't allowing these disciples to just stay in their, uh, their depressed state. He wanted them to come to the conclusion of what it really was that was irking their soul. And uh, I believe that Jesus could probably roll up on any one of us at any given time, maybe at the water cooler at the office, maybe their neighbor on the front lawn, while you're mowing the lawn, or maybe it's inside your family to discuss the current events of the day and how troubling they are. And uh, he could roll up on any one of our conversations at, at certain points and say, hey, what you talking about? Why are you so sad about it? And then, of course, the common thing is, well, everything's messed up. Everything is so, so crazy. I mean, if you haven't noticed, the world has gone unhinged a little bit lately. I mean, golly, I mean, you can't really look at the news without just feeling like, wow. And so our conversations could center around world events, political gains or losses, or domestic troubles as small as gas prices and food. And Jesus would say to us, what are you troubled about? It's so sad. And of course, we'd give that vague answer, but he doesn't allow us to stay in the vagueness. He loves to find out what it is truly that is troubling us. And I believe we have the same malady that these two disciples had. And we will find out what that is. Let's read on. 
So, after saying what things they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some of the women in our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see. And then he had said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so uh, to the disciples, this is just a stranger. And all of a sudden, this stranger, after asking them what's going on, they just regurgitate the events that has just happened. And this stranger calls them foolish ones. Now, I don't know how you take somebody that's, <laughs> you don't know, calling you foolish, but that's kind of a little bold. What these guys are, are really struggling with is what I would call selective theology. That is, they were so focused on Jesus, who was supposed to establish the kingdom of God upon the earth and right all the wrongs. They were so focused because of the miracles and the teachings and the goodness that he shone that they had totally forgotten about the other side of the plan of God prior to glory. Indeed, they were suffering from only partial truths about God. What we believe about God and what we believe uh, Him to be sometimes is skewed because we only have partial information. As we grow in the Lord and as we begin to partake more of His Word, we begin to see a clearer picture. These guys are suffering just like the church is today of selective theology. There's almost a toxic positivity in the church today, right? It's all positive and encouraging. And it has left us without the capacity to handle the difficult things of life. And the church has neglected to teach the harder things, the suffering before the glory. And I believe that we are suffering from that as well. But that really wasn't what was irking these disciples. What really irked them is that they had hoped somehow that Jesus would have changed all things already. In reality, what they were saying is, where is God and all of these last past events? And isn't that really what us Christians struggle with when difficulty arises? Because we know the God of heaven, we know that his ability is strong, we know he is a way maker and a miracle worker, but sometimes those maladies they drag on, and the world problems continue. And we get weary of them, and we say to ourselves, where is God and all of this? Well, we would know where God is in all of this because uh, we have all the answers sitting before us. Obviously, he called them foolish ones and slow of heart to believe. This word foolish carries the thought of, you just did not engage your brain. <laughs> okay? You didn't engage your brain, and furthermore, 
you are working off your senses. It's sensual. That is, what you see, what you taste, what you smell, what you touch, what you hear, is how you're reacting to life. You're foolish in that way. Jesus is telling them, really, you have learned to walk by sight and not by faith. You are working off an emotionalism off the circumstances you're seeing, and that is foolish. That was Jesus talking to these disciples. And I dare say that sometimes we get caught up in our emotions as well. We get caught up in what we see, in what we hear, in what we perceive, and we forget the spiritual realities behind it. So Jesus began to open up their minds and take an, on a on a walk down memory lane through the scriptures. And he started to open up the scriptures, showing himself to them. Ought not the Christ to have suffered before glory? Now these fine Jewish upstanding disciples should have known in Genesis chapter 3, on the very first prophecy, that yes, the Christ, the seed of the woman, would come and crush Satan's head. Right? But his heel would be bruised. Even further on in Genesis, we would begin to see that picture of Isaac on a mountaintop being sacrificed by Abraham, right? And they go and they take their journey for three days, supposing Isaac was already dead. And he is to sacrifice Isaac on Mount Moriah, which just so happens to be very near the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. So many, many years before Jesus even arrived, there was this sacrificial only son on a mountain that Jesus himself would die upon. Not only that, in that text in Genesis, that God said, look, withhold your knife, for I myself will provide a sacrifice. A picture, of course, of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Now, moving on from Genesis, we come to Exodus, and we begin to see the Passover lamb, do we not? The Egyptians had the Israelites enslaved in bitter bondage. And after ten plagues, uh, this final one was about ready to come down. The firstborn son was to die. And the only way to escape this plague was to take a lamb without blemish and slay it. And take its blood and put it on the doorposts and the lentils. And then those who remained inside would escape the angel of death. Another grand picture of the suffering of Christ. And moving on from Exodus, we could go on to Numbers, right? Where the Israelites were all complaining and moaning and griping. And so God sent fiery serpents into the camp to bite them. And they're all suffering in their pain. They instructed Moses to go ahead and get this bronze serpent fashioned and put it up on a pole and lift it up. And they were instructed, all those people who just looked upon the serpent on the pole that was lifted up would be healed. Jesus himself would pick up this imagery in John chapter 3, saying just like that, the Son of Man must be lifted up. And so all of these things, we could go on to Deuteronomy about the rock that was struck, those thirsty Israelites complaining again, oh, I'm so thirsty. God, having mercy upon them, told Moses to strike a rock so water would come flowing out. And Paul would pick up later on in the New Testament that that rock was Christ. He had to be struck for life to happen. And so they had all of this witness in Scripture that Jesus had to suffer and die. But they neglected to remember it. And Jesus is now reminding them. 
often the answers that we're seeking are already pre-written in Scripture. And the troubles that we see in our life today are already been written ahead of time for us to know. I find it necessary, and probably a little lengthy in our study, but I do find it necessary to read a couple of passages, some low-hanging fruit for us to look at today, to let us know that God is not surprised at what we see going on in the world today. If we were to change and turn our Bibles to chapter 24 of Matthew, we would begin to see that Jesus is again instructing disciples, and he simply says this, He sat on the Mount of Olives, and the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And Jesus answered him, See that one, um, Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear the wars and rumors of wars. You'll see that, you see that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And all these are but the beginning of the birth pangs. And then he goes on to talk about the persecution of Christians that would happen. And then he tells them in verse 12 that because of lawlessness and iniquity will be increased, the love of many will grow cold but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, this is a worldwide scale thing, and it's a low-hanging fruit for us to pick out to see that obviously Jesus knew that these days would be upon us, that there would be wars and famines and earthquakes in various places and difficulties. And he gave us two instructions, simply this. One, don't be deceived. Stay spiritually sharp. And then two, there's going to be a temptation to get cold, unfeeling, numb, but stay warm. Stay warm in the love of Christ. Stay warm in your love of the Savior. Stay warm in your spiritual journey. That was the instruction. Now that's worldwide. Now if we were to take our time and go to Timothy, we begin to see a more personal, more localized um, action. In Timothy chapter 3, and verses 1, it says this, Understand this, that in the last day there will come times of difficulty, or the King James would say perilous times, for people would be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving God, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, and having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. <laughs> That's a mouthful of depression, isn't it? <laughs> my goodness. And my, my intent is not to depress us today, but to let us know that obviously these things were foreseen and forewritten for us 2,000 years ago. Uh, they, he also gives instruction to Timothy in verse 14. But as for you... Continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed. Knowing from whom you've learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, correction, for training in righteousness, that the person of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, 
we will begin to see that as Jesus unfolded all of the scriptures to the disciples concerning himself, that they would need all of the scriptures to deal with all of the things they were grappling with. It is very important to have a well-rounded view. Now, how did these disciples take all of this information as they began to see Jesus on the pages of the scriptures? Let us read on and finish our text. Back in Luke, if I can get there, 24, it says this. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went to stay with them, and when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and they vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven. And those who were with them gathered together, and they were saying that the Lord had risen indeed, that he had appeared to Simon. And they told what happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. These disciples were pretty pumped, I mean, pretty pumped up. All of a sudden, their current events decided to slide away. All of a sudden, they began to see Jesus and, the, Jesus and his plan very clearly, and how they were excited to go run out and tell people about it. It's so exciting to see that. Now, notice the thing that they said about Jesus. Now, this is the cool thing. As we begin to see scripture and formulate the truths in our minds, and we're, we get all like, oh, wow, man, that's so cool. I've got to share it with people. We, may, we must share it in the right heart. Think about how Jesus opened up the scripture to these discouraged disciples. He was compelling. He was winsome. They wanted him to stay for dinner. He wasn't all in his face, all in their faces. He wasn't red-faced and all bummed out about things. He wasn't all like enraged and sharing the truth of God. He simply was very winsome, wasn't he? The disciples were like, hey, where are you going? Don't go. Come on. Stay at our house. Let's have some dinner together. <laughs> they wanted to get to know him better. And the nature of Jesus is that he just has this way about him. He's compelling. And I believe as we begin to be transformed into his image and we start sharing the truths of God with people in that winsome approach, people will be compelled to want more. And so they eat dinner. And what happens? They break bread, and all of a sudden their eyes are open. It's like, oh, it's Jesus, you know, and they were all excited, and then gone, just like that. They did not need to see his physical appearance any longer. Why? Because they had an apt picture of him through Scripture now. Every time they read their Bibles, every time they read their Scriptures, every time they came across the passage, they would remember, oh, this is where Jesus said, or this is talking about him. Oh, man, look at how he did that. Oh, God, how did you hide that from us before? That is so awesome. Jesus is found within these pages. And as we partake and intake all of the scriptures, not partially, but all, we'll begin to see an image of Christ come off the page and be transformed into that image, if you will, this Bible is Jesus' selfie. It talks of Jesus. So, uh, again, they were excited. Hearts burning. Pumped up. 
And isn't that what happens to you? Have you ever just spent some time in the Word and all of a sudden something just jumps off the page? It speaks to your soul. Your heart starts, it just comes alive. And you're just like, oh, that's just what I needed. That's His ministry to you. It's as if He's sitting at the dinner table with you. It's Jesus speaking truth to your heart that lifts your soul up out of this world and into some hope. This is what the scriptures will do. My intent in this whole study was simply to do this, to let us know that the scriptures are so comforting and so needed and so wonderful and so grand. To stay away from this is to stay away from life itself. So, Father, we're grateful for the word that you've left us, the pages of scriptures that you've poured into us, the picture that you've given us, the truths you've implanted in us, the foresight that you've given us, Lord, that we, we could walk in renewed hope and strength. And even as the current events may grieve our souls, it doesn't surprise us, Lord. And your plan is working out just as you said. And we're grateful in Jesus' name. Amen.